is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. Welcome to Friday night's after show from Narrative. It's good to be with you. And how are you doing, Greg? You're good? Um, yeah, I'm good. I feel good. Greg Oliar of the good. Prevail website and also an author of Dirty Rubles and Lincoln's Boob Booble. <laughs> I was gonna say Lincoln's Bible is here. Because <laughs> <laughs> Hi Lincoln's Booble. I, <laughs> I think Jeff needed 20 more minutes of nap. <laughs> I'm thinking about my boobs. What's happening? <laughs> you know that's on my thing, but it's like there you are. So, <laughs> oh, are. that's the start to the yeah. show. We always wanted. You know, both myself and my boobs are doing great. Happy good. to be here. We have a yeah. good show tonight. We have a yeah. good show. Uh, Don Lewis, I okay, hope will show good. up in a, in a little bit. He's our fourth uh, panelist tonight. Plus, plus later in the show at around seven thirty, we're going to meet the man who's going to try to take down Madison Cawthorn. Do you guys know who that is? <gasps> Dr. Well, Strange is a young boy. Yeah. Dr. Exactly. So, um, you know, there's a huge scandal around Madison right now because he's, uh, they like to present him as a good country boy with all this good, clean living, but he's not really that guy, according to three dozen people that they, BuzzFeed spoke to in his high school. Um, so we might uh, we might touch on that a little later on. We may not. But at least we'll talk to Josh Remiard, who's the uh, one of the Democratic candidates running for uh, that seat in North Carolina. That'll be really interesting. He'll come around at around 7.30. So I watched the the documentary on HBO called Alan V. Farrow, which is about um, basically the allegations against Woody Allen, who is alleged to have sexually assaulted his seven-year-old daughter, adopted daughter, not that it matters. Um, and it's a four-part thing, and it really goes into depth and interviews everybody, including the police, the the, the prosecutor in Connecticut where it happened. And um, there's all this stuff that, she had Mia Farrow had recorded calls that she made to Woody Allen, um, which are played in the film. And it's it it's impossible to watch it and not come away and been like, oh, my God, this guy, you know, he's a monster. Mm. And but looking at it and, and uh, the, the assault stuff is almost it, I, it's so horrible that you can't even really wrap your mind around it. Um, but it occurred to me. uh watching this after having spent the last four years talking about russia and disinformation and ops that what happened is that woody allen ran an op on mia farrow um after this thing happened he you know basically ran an op he first he um about three or four days after the incident which was in august of uh, 1992 he um filed for custody of the three children, which put everything into the public sphere. So now reporters were talking about it. People were asking about it. And Mia Farrow didn't want to say anything because she wanted to keep it out of the press for obvious reasons. Um, and then Woody Allen calls this press conference at the Plaza Hotel in New York City about a week, 10 days after it happens. And in my piece, I basically dissect this press conference it's maybe six paragraphs long what he does and he just nails all the things that you want to do if you're running an op um you know a crisis pr thing 
First, he, he gets out in front of the story. He strikes first. Um, he creates uh, a counter-narrative to the narrative that, that was there. He introduces all kinds of stuff um, to stop the press from talking about the allegation of him sexually assaulting the seven-year-old. Now we're talking about, um, is Mia Farrow an unfit mother? Uh, is she? Uh, is this a vendetta? What Did Mia Farrow program the 17-year-old daughter to say these things? Uh, is she out for money? Because there's something in there that she, uh, her lawyers asked for $7 million to make it go away. Like, he goes into so much detail in this very short period of time. And this is the first press conference that was anything to do with this case. It's the first time either one of them had spoken publicly. And it's the first time he had spoken publicly in a long time, because Woody Allen, mm -hmm. like a like all pretentious dicks, hey, is contemptuous of the media that, uh, you know, seems to adore him. Um, so people were there. They were wondering what was going on. They were reporting on it accurately based on what he said. And that was the narrative. He, he set the narrative from that moment. And it ended with him talking about Sunni Previn, who he was now in love with. He says, um, and he does the thing where he goes, <clears throat> he's always coughing. He has these weird affectations that he does that are supposed to be endearing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this cough and this and that. And then he says, the only thing I'm guilty of is falling in love with uh, or, or being in a relationship with, you know, Mia's um, adult daughter. And, you know, as if that makes it like fine, you know, like it's a little weird. So weird. Um, after that happens, the press sort of has a field day with all this stuff because there's so many places to go with the story, starting with him and Sunyi, which he offered up. Um, and I remember at the time, Sunyi graduated from high school the same year I did, 91, and she went to college in the town where I grew up. She went to Drew University in Madison, New Jersey, where I grew up. As I remember all of this happening, and I don't remember, I don't remember um, anything about the abuse allegation. I just don't remember that at all. Hmm. So the op wor certainly worked on me, and I, I've never done a detailed analysis, but if you go back and look at the coverage of it, I'm sure a significant percentage of the coverage was um, about that or about, you know, um, th this business of, you know, mothers programming their children to, you know, falsely accuse it's like when that movie Disclosure came out in 1990-whatever, and it was like the one example ever in the history of time that sexual harassment happened to a guy. That's, that's the thing they had to make a movie about, right? Right. Um, and it totally skews what that's all about. Um, you know, it's the same kind of effect. So, but what also struck me is that after this happened, um, you know, he, he said about destroying Mia Farrow. He had to destroy her Did, yeah. and undermine completely her credibility in order for the op to be successful. And I think a lot of people look back on what he did and, you know, we're taking notes because if you look at, you know, how indignantly he, uh, he denies everything, how he points to other victims, how he says he's blameless. There's all these things that all these accusers subsequent to that did, um, an whether, whether it's Bill Clinton, whether yeah. it's OJ Simpson, whether it's Harvey, uh, we Harvey Weinstein, whether it's Trump, whether it's Brett Kavanaugh, our buddy LB, um, it's the same damn playbook. And then I was doing research for this and I'm reading 
the original reporting in the New York Times, which comes out in August 14th, I think, of 92. And I'm reading and the lawyer said this and her lawyer said that. And I'm like, well, wait, stop the press. And I go back. Her lawyer was Alan Dershowitz. And my head sort of exploded. So <laughs> I put this in the piece at the end, like Alan Dershowitz would go on to represent all, most of those people. Right. right. Epstein, who, by the way, Woody Allen was good friends with. Um, and hung out with all the time. So, uh, what are the chances of that? I mean, that's pretty right? really bizarre, right? And they well, they, on the wrong side of that and they both like very young women. So, uh, but anyway, I subsequent to publishing this, I found out from a source that Mia Farrow did not actually. Uh, Alan Dershowitz was not working for Mia Farrow technically. Okay. He was just in the press talking about it, and ah, you know, it, it, his name was just out there. He was introducing himself into this thing as if he was. So on behalf uh, of Woody. that's not in the piece. I found that out after, but it makes more sense given what we know of him to just be sort of an wow. opportunistic uh, fame monger, you know, but uh, it's amazing that you're so good at analyzing ops now that you can actually like tell them from a, like a mile away. You're like, oh yeah, that's an op because that's what we do these days. Yeah. You have to, um, but you're so right about that being the template that they kept using after that. They, that was the template and people who go out ahead of the crisis and spin the story their way tend to get off. I, you know, I was covering the David Letterman scandal. It wasn't even mm. that big a scandal when it turned out because he went out on TV and instead of letting someone else control the narrative, as it were, he controlled it himself. He said, this is what had happened. This is who I was with. You know, I happened to sleep with all my staff, and and so what? I, I love my woman. And, you know, something like that, and that was it. And really inappropriate oh, for yeah. any – I mean, it really was. It was. It was. That it, was his It excuse. was, but he, he also – it was not just his excuse. Yeah, yeah. He owned what he did. Yes. Woody yeah. never owned what true, he did. True, Woody true. set alternate narratives based on disinformation and outright lies, as we now know, based on what we found from the court documents from the prosecutor and 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 even the judge in the in the custody in the in the case and what they what that judge had to say about Woody Allen because he did try to get custody and the judge was like these kids do not belong with this guy, yeah. right? And so. Uh, and and the prosecutor who was going to indict him and why he chose not to, uh, you know, and that's all in the court documents. And that the lies that Woody then told after this, I think it was after the documentary came out or just before it came out about, oh, suddenly there's a train set. That was never in there. And then you see all the way back from Dylan's very first uh, recorded uh, her interview where she was talking with, with the law enforcement. She talked about that train set. So he even outright lied about that to make it still seem like this was all contrived, right? Which is what you do when you have incredible confidence in the op that you're running. And mm. so this is what I talked with Greg about, and I talked about it, I'm like, how, how is, uh-oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how, how, so sorry. Alan Dershowitz, by the way, he's so got sorry. A, he's Dershowitz. Got, you shouldn't be saying this about him. <laughs> oh my God. Well, but how was Woody so confident? We can't have these two things exist. He can't be this nebbishy little guy who's coughing and is frail and is like humble and like, oh, I make fun of myself and I'm shy and I don't really know how to do anything in the world. And this woman's just out to get me because she's scorned and I don't know what to do and I'm the victim. And yet, then on the other side of it, know what the hell you're doing to run it off like this so that we can really clearly dissect it. It's, there's no even, it, 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 what Greg put down on paper is 
is are the facts that is what's out there um and and it's all trackable so which one are you you can't you either knew what you were doing and you know how to do this shit, or you're a victim and you're you're caught in a web and you don't know what's happening to you that pick a narrative motherfucker so that's what i have to say about that can he be both can he be both a like a clumsy actor guy who's got a good team of publicists around him and they know how to do crisis pr no, you no, because he 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 entrapped her into recorded conversations. Right. He entrapped yeah. me. Yeah, that's what when you watch a documentary, okay. he entrapped her into recorded conversations. He spun lies and webs around information that he didn't realize at the time, or no one, or they knew at the time would not come out, and he probably didn't realize, and his team didn't realize at the time would eventually would come out. That was in those court documents. That was all a minor. It was all sealed. Now we can see it. Right now we know it was in there and we know that he was directly lying about what was in those those documents in those court documents and in the testimonies. Okay. Right. Um, and- so he, he was straight up lying. He knew he was lying. He knew what he was doing. He knew when he was getting her recorded. He knew what he was doing there and how he's enticing her to that. This guy ran a very sophisticated operation on Mia Farrow. He did to to and he was very confident. I'm going to win and I'm going to get out of this. And, how are you so confident in that, Mr. Right. Hoff, Nebishi, humble, I don't know, the world is too big and I'm the victim guy. Why are you so goddamn confident? That's what, for me, was like, I could he be, can't. He's, you don't think he could he just be acting? That that character is an no. act and then his, his real persona is a cutthroat director slash yeah. uh, actor yes, guy. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Okay. Yes. Yeah, 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 he's no, not he, a nice he's guy. Not, you don't get to be he where he is in the industry. in high school. He wasn't yeah. some high school film nerd. He was an athlete in high school. He was got picked first for sports teams. Uh, the the, the Nebuchadnezzar really? thing is 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 a just is a fiction. A it's, it's acting. It's wow. it's a character, just like a tramp. You know, it's a character that he plays. One more one more thing about this uh, of interest because there's a lot of attention and with good reason has been focused on the the sex crime, which is horrible and just unspeakably yeah. abominable. Um, so I don't want to talk about that because I think there's better people to talk about that. Um, yeah. People, lots of people have pointed out that in every other movie that he makes, I mean, his his body of work, where it's like older guy, younger, barely legal girl that they're coupling off. We know about that. What's less talked about is how often in his movies there's some ex lover that has to be dealt with, wh- whether she's killed or gotten out of the picture. It's always some crazy jilted ex-lover. Crimes and misdemeanors, Angelica Houston. What happens? Um, they have her killed and he gets away with it. Match point, okay? The tennis pro. Uh, Scar Joe gets, gets pregnant with him. She's, he's gonna ruin the marriage. What happens? He kills her, he gets away with it. Uh, even crimes and misdemeanors, I'm even um, bullets over Broadway. I mean, they shoot the actress who is the mistress, who's annoying. Mm. There's this, People are like, oh, he writes such strong women characters. Does he? That the women in the movies are fucking disposable is what they are. And it's it's ridiculous. But so, you seem like a bit of a fan, though. I mean, apart from what he's done in his private life there, do you like the movies? Are you, would you, are you interested not, in I don't like work? all of them. He's he's one of the best writers that has ever. I mean, he's a, yeah. a, as a writer, he's, he's amazing. He's frustrating from an artistic standpoint because he makes too many damn movies. If he made one movie every five years and actually edited the script a little better and spent more time, he would have 20 movies that were amazing instead of that, five. Some of the, some of the, right. It's, by the way, some of his most sort of seminal pieces, I think Annie Hall, there's there's three of them that someone else wrote. Uh, he might have a co-writing credit on that. Yeah, Martin. Mar- that, that's what's his it. name? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, um, you know, so, and it's amazing that he got to the Oscars at all. When was it last time around? Did he get it over in Midnight in Paris? Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. In 2012, was it that you said he got? Did he win in 2012, or did he uh, just get nominated? For the he won for midnight. He won best screenplay won. for midnight. That's amazing when you think about it. When you think about it, the uh, how successful that op was, that within you know a reasonable amount of time he was able to reposition himself and win an Oscar. I mean, that's for insane. a movie yeah. that is, for a movie with a shit script. Yeah. yeah. Also, unbelievable. Right. Everybody. Everybody wanted to work with him too. Right. That it didn't stop anyone from wanting to work with Woody. And I think that's the part that's like. Um, you know, at some point, and it's like, okay, do we just, just this isn't, you know, and then it gets weaponized. Oh, cancel culture. You can't, like, mm. the guy married his daughter, right? Uh, Even yeah. if he didn't adopt her, the daughter, the, the young girl that he, who was raising the Sunye. And I do think that there were the Polaroids, the pictures that Mia found, I'll have to go back and watch the docu documentary, but I do believe that when she found the pictures of Sunyi, the pornographic photographs that, that Woody took. Um, I think Sunyi was underage then too, so I don't quite understand why there was a prosecution there, and he admitted to all of that. So I don't think she, um, I think sort of she was in high school, but I don't think she was underage. Was she I think in, the age of consent okay. in New York is seventeen. Did whatever. she go to Dalton but, School, by the way, guys? Was she? In I don't Dalton think so. School? Oh, that's no. interesting. The I don't daughter. think she did. Okay. I can't remember where she went, but I I don't think that it was there. Hey, uh, Don Lewis is here. Hey, Don. Hi. Oh, hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? What's going on, Brad? You're a little late, hey, but it's okay. <laughs> I am. Um, Why is that? Are, are you a fan of Woody Allen? <laughs> you know, I like some question. of his movies. My, 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 my you know, his, his lifestyle is one thing that moves the other. I, I like his sense of humor. My Woody Allen story is that my um, my grandfather, who grew up in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, was actually in um, elementary school with, with Woody Allen. And he would always tell stories about how he was a a, a major major class clown. Um, oh, yeah? yeah, general. Yeah, yeah. That so you can confirm that he wasn't a secondhand. Confirm that he wasn't a a nerdy kind of guy at school, or was he? Well, I don't know that my grandfather ever said that he wasn't he wasn't nerdy. He said he was he was always up to no and he had trouble paying attention and he would get kicked out of class quite frequently, which I find is the case with many artistic people or people who are just kind of ahead of the, ahead of the curve. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I didn't get kicked out of class a lot. Did you, LB? <laughs> uh, no. Did, no, I can't imagine you got kicked out of class. Greg, did you get kicked out of class? Never. I was Never. a complete nerd. Are you kidding? Don, yeah. did you get kicked out of class a lot? <laughs> uh, if I got kicked out of class, I would have gotten a lot of trouble with my mother. So I'm going to say no. No. <laughs> I got kicked out once. Once. That was it. Once. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Um, Don, you're up next. What's uh, what's your story of the of the week? There was the shootings down in Atlanta. Uh, a 21 year old white male shot and killed eight people. Six of them were Asian women, and then he fled in a car. And you know, I guess there was a pursuit. And when he was pursued, the quotes were. I mean, when he was detained, the quotes that he was detained without incident. Um, subsequent to that, there is a. Cherokee is the town, I guess, in Fulton County. No, no, sure, that's sorry, it's the DA. Cherokee uh, police chief, a guy named Roy Baker, uh, was speaking about the incident, and he essentially said something like, well, you know, this shooter, I think he's Roger Iron Long or something, um, you know, the day before he had a bad day. So that obviously started mm -hmm. a bit of an outlash because, you know, there's a gazillion jokes that are being made and can be made, like, you know, everybody has a bad day, you don't go kill eight people. 
But the other one that it really ties into is the current Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, people say Asian Lives Matter. I'm out with this as well. But it's just a general thing. I mean, the big, you know, thrust, in my opinion, behind Black Lives Matter is police brutality and, and, and things of that nature, right? So, you know, Tamir Rice is a 12-year-old kid. A police officer gets called to a park about somebody with a toy gun, and Tamir Rice ends up dead. Right, you know, um, Ro, I forget, I think it's Rohan, I forget the first name, Rohan Jean, you know, he's in his apartment playing uh, video games. The police officer, the wrong apartment, he ends up dead. This guy shoots and kills eight people, flees the police, police flees the police, flees the police, gets detained without incident. The officers get on TV the next day, or the officer, and says, hey, he had a bad day the day before. I mean, it's beyond abhorrent to even... <laughs> Engage in that kind of, you know, irrespective of anything, it's bad to engage, have made a statement like that. But when you juxtapose, you know, what's happening with different people, it makes it even more offensive. And, you know, for example, you know, with the rhetoric that comes, you know, from certain people like the former President Trump, uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick takes a knee to protest what, you know, this issue of police brutality and other things, which is a very patriotic to do, exercise your right. And he's called the son of a bitch. And if you post about, Colin Kaepernick on Twitter, the bots come out in full force with the hateful, crazy stuff. So in the one hand, you have a guy who takes a knee on a field to protest an issue peacefully, not bothering anybody. And he's protesting about years long and maybe hundreds of years long of, of actual atrocities and people getting killed. On the other hand, you have a 21-year-old white male who shot and killed eight people. And the response is, hey, you know what? He had a bad day. And the suggestion is that is don't go so hard on him. Is recently in Rochester, there was a nine-year-old black girl who was having some issue with the police. They handcuffed the nine-year-old girl. They forced her into the back of the police car and they pepper sprayed her in the eyes. So that's the way this woman or girl, child, is treated. And you have a 21-year-old who killed eight people. And the response is, hey, you know, maybe he had a bad day. Now, just to on a lighter side of things, there's a, Michael, there's a Michael Douglas movie called Falling Down, and the, the entire premise of the movie, as I remember it, is he's a guy out in L.A. who's just living an ordinary life, and he's dealing with traffic, and his wife's he's having problems with his wife and his kids, and he just basically loses his shit. And I think he, he either starts shooting around a lot or he goes on a killing spree, but it's the same like concept of, hey... Like society just broke the guy, he snapped. Addiction. They accepted his narrative of, you know, I had a sex addiction and I'm going after these these massage parlors because they're too tempting for me, which, you know, it doesn't strike anyone as being real or true. And they accepted it, at, you know, they just said, hey, well, that's absolutely what happened. And there's no, uh, there's no hate crime here, which is ridiculous. I mean, clearly there's some sort of race issue here. He, well, there's a hate against women. This yeah, is, let's, let's spoil right, this up. Right. This is the women, the women had to be taken out because they were tempting him. Yeah. That and that the expressed empathy for this man by uh, by uh, uh, officer uh, uh, a sheriff of that he was having a bad day and he had a sex addiction and it was just too much temptation for him. Women are up against this constantly, and I'm so sick of it. I can't even tell you yeah. that somehow we are the reason why men can't control themselves. It's insane. So that's the first thing. Then you get into the layer of, well, why was he only, why not here? And everyone's asking that. There are all kinds of adult entertainment things around. If it really was a sex edition or adult entertainment, well, because he patronized those places is what we think. That's what it's looking like. I, I actually don't know that I believe this guy. I think he also right? came in there and he, what he said when him? he was shooting them was, I'm going to kill all the Asians. I mean, I think that's what he said. 
as far as I know, in the first no, the initial he, reporting. Well, maybe he had initial a fetish, reporting out right? of Or Korea, maybe it was, was a hate crime. Yeah. You know, but 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 Asian American women ha- have faced this forever, mm-hmm. right? They have there. It, it's because they're women, and it's it's just horrible. And then you have the lo- broader um, AAPI community telling everybody right now, it's really bad for us right now. Everyone, it's always been bad. This isn't a new thing, but it's it's like escalated to this mm-hmm. unbelievable level, and they're really being terrorized. And our citizens, these are our. This is our family members. My God. So for that sheriff to come out and be that, and that's what my whole thing was. Well, let's look at this. Let's look at this sheriff's departments and these police departments. What could this be? What the hell is going on here? Because it does feel like something much bigger. Yes, there's always been a history of this. Yes, there's this sort of that that kind of work also attracts a certain element out of our society, especially with white men. Um, of like Absolutely. wanting to dominate, wanting to, it, it, it is, it, right? But there's also in all these incredible cops and all these incredible sheriffs. There are people that come in into law enforcement that are nobly doing that work um, and want to serve their communities. So I think we can all sort of see, for me, there has been a shift in policing broadly that happened you know, it, where it was, okay, I'm just going to empty my clip into this person, right? Of seeing the citizenry as a whole, right, of, as um, as sort of war combatants, right? Nice. Like, we're out there, it's like, oh, our lives are at risk, and because it's it shifted from, we're just going to be, you know, the instances of being just horrible racial oppression and over-policing and all of that, where we always have had that elements to the police and, and the sheriffs really coming from a framework of our lives are at stake. Oh my God, I'm fear. Release my gun. And the police. Narrative is funded by viewers like you. Support our independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative.